Well, good morning again. If you have your Bible, turn with me this morning to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let me ask you this. How many of you like a good parade? And raise your hand if you like to go to a parade. For several years while I was at my last church in Wiley, one of the outreach events that I was over was the annual Christmas parade. That one event would draw in a couple of thousand people from within the city. We would have 50 or 60 or more floats, um, and each one of those would take their turns going down Ballard Street. Some of those floats were spectacular. They would consist of hundreds, if not thousands, of lights. Some would have smoke machines and animation characters. It was a fun to be a part of that tradition. We certainly could not compete with the Macy's Thanksgiving parade, but we held our own for a small city. This morning, we're going to see a parade. This parade is not going to be like the Wiley parade or like the Macy's Thanksgiving parade because this parade has just one entry, and that entry is the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, will mark the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Sunday was the first day in what would be Jesus' last week of ministry here on earth. Over this week, Jesus will enter Jerusalem. He will cleanse the temple. He will challenge the religious leaders. He will institute the Lord's Supper. He will be arrested, tried, denied, and crucified. Three days after, he was placed in that borrowed tomb. He would burst forth from the grave, having conquered death, conquered that grave, conquered the devil, and everyone else that opposed him. On Friday, we will come together and we will reflect upon Jesus' crucifixion. Then on Sunday, we will come together and we will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot will happen over the course of this week. Okay, a lot happened 2,000 years ago. Let me encourage all of us to be prayed up to be studied up, and to be proclaimed up. Let's invite people to join us next Sunday to be a part of our worship service. Let's invite people to be a part of our outreach event on Saturday as well as our Good Friday service on Friday. So again, if you have your Bible, turn with me this morning to John chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 19 together. Over the course of Jesus' final week, The parade will go from shouting out Hosanna to crucify him. Isn't it amazing how you can go from being the most popular one day to being hated the next? Now, I did not watch the Academy Awards. Some of you may have, um, but I think all of us have witnessed Will Smith slap Chris Rock, right? Um, Think about Will Smith for a second. Okay, he is one of the most successful Hollywood actors probably of all times. Not only is he an actor, but he is also a musician and he's been in Hollywood for 30 plus years. Most of what he touches turns to gold. There is no telling how many billions of dollars he has made Hollywood over the course of his career. But think about the night of that slap. Will Smith would go from slapping Chris Rock in the face Everyone would be left speechless. A few minutes later, he would receive an Oscar, the very first one of his career, and everyone would clap and cheer him on in that moment. But the next day, he would be shunned and shamed by some of the very people that praised him the night before. 
Some of the movies that he has in development have shut down production because of the, um, they're, they're not sure of, of the marketing value of Will Smith anymore. Jesus will arrive into Jerusalem with cheers, but soon those cheers will turn to jeers and people will begin to shout out, crucify him. Read with me from John chapter 12. The next day, the large crowds that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that the things he had been, that had been written about him and had been done to him, the crowds that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So by way of setup, Jesus has been in Bethlehem. He has raised Lazarus from the dead. Now it is um, about six days before Passover, and we are told that, that Jesus is in the, in the home of, of Lazarus, and they are having a meal together, and we know what happens there. Martha would end up serving Jesus, but what did Mary do? Man, Mary... Um, she, she, she anointed the feet of Jesus, right? She took that expensive jar of perfume and poured it out over Jesus, uh, essentially anointing his body for the burial that would come in a matter of days. And then the next morning, Jesus gets up, and with his eyes fixed toward Jerusalem, he and the crowd begin marching toward the city. Now, the city of Jerusalem would, would, would hold, um, have a population of about 40,000 people at any given time. But during Passover week, it would swell to hundreds of thousands of people. Some people estimate uh, on the low end about 250,000. Other people say it could have had as many as 2 million people in it. So, so thousands of people would come to celebrate Passover. And, and what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see the events um, leading up to Jesus arriving in Jerusalem. So when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, we read of the crowd's praise first. So notice again in verses 12 and 13. The next day, the large, large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Here's what we know about this crowd. There would have been, um, they were in the presence of royalty, weren't they? A king was approaching. And this crowd begins to cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they recognize in Jesus a king, don't they? In this crowd would have been some true worshipers, men and women that had observed Jesus turn water into wine heal the lame, enable the mute to speak, the deaf to hear, the blind to see. They would have witnessed Jesus feed the 5,000 with just a, a kid's um, lunch, school lunch. His, the, the disciples would have witnessed him walk on water. And many that day that followed Jesus into Jerusalem would have been there the day that Lazarus, Lazarus was raised from the dead. They were worshipers, and their lives had been forever changed. 
Now, some in this crowd did not see Jesus as their Savior from sin, but they saw him as their Savior from the Romans. And John, John 12 is a quote from Psalm 118 where we read, Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord. We pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Do you know what Hosanna means? We saw in the video a second ago, but it means save us. Many of the people are crying out to the Lord to deliver them right then and there. They're crying out in desperation. Their concern was not for spiritual salvation. Their concern was for reprieve from the oppressive Roman government. They were looking for a king that would take on the Romans and reestablish Jerusalem and Israel as the powerhouse that it once was when King David ruled and sat on the throne. So when they cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, they are longing for a king that will give them rest from their enemies. Here's what you and I have in Jesus. We have a conquering king, don't we? He conquered death and he paid the penalty for our sin. We have a king who brings peace in our hearts and lives, even during times of war and turmoil and sickness and death, you and I can experience peace that passes all understanding. We have a king who has come to provide salvation for all who call upon the name of the Lord. In fact, we're told in, 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 in Romans chapter 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have a king who has come to restore our relationship with God that was destroyed in the garden. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a good man who did good works, or is he the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Next, we see the fulfillment of Scripture. So notice again in verses 14 through 16 we read, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So as the people march, as they march with Jesus toward Jerusalem, Jesus, and when we see this through the other Gospels, but, but Jesus sends two of his disciples into a local village to commandeer a donkey that had never been ridden before. And, and this seems strange to us, doesn't make much sense to us, but this was actually a fulfillment of prophecy from 500 years before this. The prophet Zechariah prophesied that when Jesus would come into Jerusalem, that he would come in riding on a donkey that had never been ridden before. So to the people of Israel, man, they would have known this. They would have known of a day to come when the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem like this. We read in Zechariah 9.9 these words, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is, hum is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of, the foal of a donkey. Now before their very eyes, that which was predicted was coming true. These people, they knew scripture. 
At least many of them did. They knew the words spoken by the prophets, and they longed for the day when those prophecies would be fulfilled. And so here, before their very eyes, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Not only is this prophecy being fulfilled, but there's another one that is being fulfilled as well. And this was one that was declared by the prophet Daniel. So notice in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, Daniel spoke these words. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and to offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Daniel is predicting that from the day when King Cyrus gave the order for the Jews to return back to Jerusalem at the conclusion of the 70 years of captivity, that it would be exactly 483 years and then the promised king Jesus would enter into Jerusalem. On the very day that Jesus mounted that donkey and began to march toward Jerusalem, what God had said would happen through his prophets happened. Folks, God is always true to his word, isn't he? What he said he will do, he will do. What he said he will do, he did do. The crowd would have been pumped up. Man, they would, have known, they would have been shouting and celebrating and amazed at all of this happening. We we're told they took palm branches and they laid them out on the, uh, on the ground. Basically, what they did is they rolled out their version of a red carpet is what they did. Those palm branches were put out and Jesus would begin to walk upon those. And then they would put, take their coats off. They would lay those on the ground. Man, there was a celebration that was happening on this day. When Jesus, what we know is that when Jesus entered into the city, this time he came in peace. But what we also know is there coming a day when Jesus is not going to return to Jerusalem riding a donkey, riding a, 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 an, an animal of peace. He's going to come into Jerusalem riding a war horse, isn't he, as we're told in Revelation. Now, we don't know when that day will be. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a thousand years from now. We don't know. But what we do know is that we've been commanded in Scripture to live our life as if that day is today, always to be be on our guard, always to be prepared for that day when Jesus Christ is going to return. Notice in verse 16, we read of the disciples' um, response to all of this that's going on. We see his disciples did not understand these things at first. 
Now, how did the disciples not know? How were the disciples so clueless to all of this? I mean, think about it. These disciples have been with Jesus for three plus years, and Jesus has told them time and time and time again that they would be going to Jerusalem so that he could die on the cross for their sins. And here we find them clueless to all that is going on. What we know is that the disciples would come to understand the significance of this event after the resurrection. The latter part of verse 16, we read that when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these sayings had been written about him and had been done to him. Even though the disciples heard, they had not yet fully understood. That would come after the resurrection of Jesus. There are many things that we do not understand living in this sin-stained world. There are certain things that are just a mystery to us, right? Things that the Holy Spirit have not yet revealed to us. Now, we often like to ask the question, why? When tragedies come, we like to ask God, why does this happen? Why am I sick? Why is my loved one sick? Why did my loved one have to leave me and die? Why is there war? Why can my spouse and I not get along? Why is my relationship with my children fractured? Why, why, why? How many of you have ever asked the question, why? All of us have, haven't we? There are many things that we just do not have an answer to. But what we do have is a Savior who has come to die for us and provide peace even in the midst of the storms of life. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that we have a Savior who is present even when we are experiencing storms in life? Next, we read of Jesus' popularity. Notice verses 17 and 18. The crowd who had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. What we see in this next, next section of Scripture is a convergence of two crowds. First, you have the crowd that has been with Jesus, and we are told of their witness here. Our first sub-point here, the people's witness. Again, in verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. This group of people had started their journey that morning with Jesus as they left out of Bethany. They were the ones that had witnessed Jesus call Lazarus out from that grave. Many of them had probably been with Jesus for days or weeks or months or maybe even years and witnessed Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle. And, 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 and notice this group here, okay? Do you see what this group is doing? They were out in the streets declaring to the people that the one that was coming was the very one that raised Lazarus from the dead. There was clearly an excitement in their voice. This was a time of celebration, a time of declaration, as well as a time of fulfillment. Let me ask you a question this morning. When was the last time you showed that kind of excitement about Jesus? When was the last time you were so passionate about what Jesus did in your life or within the life of another 
that you just could not contain yourself and you begin to proclaim and declare what Jesus Christ means to you and what Jesus Christ did for you. I don't know about you, but for me, it's been far too long. Maybe this week we just need to hit the streets and cry out, Jesus saves. I, uh, this morning, um, Jim Clements was opening up the church, and I don't know how we got on the, the topic, but he basically, I think he said, I, I can preach for you today. Um, I said, well, that's great. And he goes, I got a two-word um, two message. And I said, what, Jesus wept? And he said, no, Jesus saves. I mean, that's all we need to proclaim, isn't it? That Jesus saves because Jesus is the only, one that a, only way a person can enter into an eternal relationship with God the Father. We also read of another group. And within this group, there is a sense of curiosity. So this subpoint is the people's curiosity. In verse 18, we read, The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard, they heard he had done this sign. Let's call this group the fans of Jesus. Okay, This group is all about Jesus' celebrity. They want to get in proximity of the man responsible for raising Lazarus to life. The man responsible for hundreds, if not thousands, of miracles. These people certainly had heard about Jesus. Jesus, over the course of three plus years, had gone from one end of Israel to the other end of Israel, and he would have zigzagged that country time and time again. So there was probably not a single person in all of Israel that had not heard of the man Jesus. And now they hear about Jesus raising Lazarus to life again. And what do they do, man? They want to go out and see this man that did such a remarkable miracle. Everywhere Jesus went, he taught with great authority. He would go toe-to-toe with religious leaders time and time again. And he would heal and perform countless miracles. So some of these people saw in Jesus a novelty act, and they wanted to be entertained by him. I think all of us know people that are attracted to the celebrity Jesus. They want to be in the presence of Jesus because of his teaching, because of his philosophy, because of all the good that he did. They're, they're, most secularists in this world believe that Jesus is a real man. They just don't believe that he was the son of God. They respect his teaching. They respect his philosophy. They respect him as a man, but they do not acknowledge him as their savior. These people, man, love what Jesus has to offer, but they are not ready to acknowledge that Jesus is the savior of the world. They are fine living independent of God. You know what that gets you? You know what get you get when you live independent of God exactly what you want, an eternity separated from the Lord Jesus Christ in a real place called hell. Hell is a real place. Hell will be filled with men and women who are there because that is exactly where they chose to be. No one is sent to hell because God is unjust. Everyone that is in hell will be there because they chose hell over Jesus. We know that in this crowd, there would have been two groups of people. One group that acknowledged that Jesus was the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, that he came to to save all mankind from their sins. 
The other crowd would have been seekers who had come to check out Jesus. I pray that within our church, we have both. I really do. If we do not have seekers in this room, if we do not have people in this room trying to figure out who Jesus is, then you and I are not doing our job. We are not reaching out to the lost and pointing them to Jesus as we have been commanded to do. Again, let me ask you a question this morning. Which crowd represents you? Are you a true worshiper of Jesus or are you an individual still trying to figure out who Jesus is? Notice our final final point this morning is this. The Pharisees were against Jesus. In verse 19 we read, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Here's the thing about the Pharisees. Man, they're frustrated, aren't they? Man, they are turning against each other. They're bickering about Jesus. They realize that they have not been able to silence him. They have tried for three plus years to do that very thing. They have tried to stump him. They have tried to to catch him in a criminal act by by, um, breaking the Sabbath law. They have tried to get him to sin, haven't they? Time and time again, they have attempted this. And now Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And hundreds and maybe even thousands of people have left outside of Jerusalem. And they have begun to go up to where Jesus is to check out Jesus and to figure out if Jesus is who they say he is. And what that did is that only made the Pharisees more angry and more determined and more resolute to silence Jesus once and for all. In a matter of days, the Pharisees, these religious leaders who should have recognized in Jesus that he was indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In a matter of days, these men will convince one of Jesus' own disciples to betray him. They will arrange for his arrest and his execution. This is a tragic story or ending to our message this morning. But everything that happened was set into motion at the beginning of human history. After Adam and Eve had sinned, and after they had been judged and sentenced, God promised them and the world that one would come who would defeat the evils once and for all. We know the one to come was Jesus, and he came, and he died, and he rose to life again. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus next Sunday. Let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know my king, the savior of the world, or do you know my king as being a deliverer from the oppressors? He does both without a doubt. But when Jesus came into Jerusalem that first time, he came as the Savior of the world who was marching toward his execution where he would die on the cross and three days later rise again. Do you know Jesus? If not, what is keeping you from coming to faith in him? What is keeping you from repenting of your sins and turning to Jesus and surrendering your life over to him? What we know is that there were two crowds. 
One crowd worshipped Jesus. The other crowd, they were, select, they were attracted to his celebrity. They saw in Jesus a conquering king, not a savior. Which crowd represents you this morning? If you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to invite you today to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to repent of your sin and to cry out with your lips and declare that Jesus is Savior and Lord of your life. And the Bible says if you do that, you will be saved. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And you come. You come. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, thanking you for coming. Thanking you for dying on the cross for our sins. Father, I pray that all of us in this room, Father, will demonstrate the same worship for you as the true worshipers in that crowd did. Father, I pray that we will do the very thing that those that came out of Bethany with you did, and that is to hit the streets and proclaim that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has arrived. Father, I pray this morning if there is someone here that is yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, that today will be the day that they repent of their sin, and today will be the day that they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.